Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Father, we just, in this very moment, we just thank you for your presence in our lives. Father, as we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, God, it is not enough to know that there is the third person of the Trinity living inside of us. God, we know that you live in us. The question is, do you influence us? Are you leading us? Are our lives changing? God, is there a difference? God, we pray for that difference in our lives. And we have far too long tried in our own strength. And so, God, we pray for an atmosphere of surrender this afternoon. We pray, God, that there could just be this posture of surrender. That we've tried so hard to be good Christians. We've tried so hard to be obedient. And yet your highest command is love. The one thing, if we could boil down one thing, you say, God, what's the one thing you want from me? And he says, I want you to love me. I want you to want to be with me. We live in such a world of performance that we cannot imagine a God who just desires to be with us. We're in this constant state of trying to produce and to prove and win approval that we cannot understand a God who sees us as his child and our sins. Our sins have been taken care of on the cross. So it's so hard for us to feel close to you. It's so hard to believe you want to be close to me. Even my own father does not want me, but you want me. You want me. You want me after my worst moment. You want me. You want me even though the deepest secret inside of me is there and you still want me want me because you love your son and when you see me you see your son and you see my disobedience but the lens you look through is the obedience of your son oh God we just pray that there would be a freshness to your message a freshness to your gospel today and that can only happen because of the person of the Holy Spirit so God I pray that As the communicator speaks and as the listener listens, there's something happening in between us, that the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is working in us and through us and changing us. Change us today. Change us today. And I pray wherever we are at today with you, I pray we move a little bit closer. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen? Amen. It's good to see everybody today. We are in our last sermon in this series called Spirit, and uh, as we get ready to go into the summer, it's a great time for us to 
talk about what it means to be spiritual and what it means to walk with God. You know, anywhere I go in this world and any state I go to, I always find people who say they're spiritual people. And it really doesn't matter what religion they're talking about. They just believe that there's something more to this world, that there's this transcendent God that is overseeing our world. And they believe they have some kind of connection with this transcendent being, regardless of what religion it is. A lot of people believe that this is a stage we live our lives on, but there is someone behind the scenes that is pulling the levers and making things work the way they are. And we believe as Christians that we can be spiritual people because we believe in one God, and we believe that God is Father, but we also believe that He is Son, and we believe that He is the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is who we have been talking about. And to be a spiritual person in the Christian economy is to be a person that is influenced by the Holy Spirit. Now, every Christian has the Holy Spirit living inside of them, but that does not mean that every Christian has the Holy Spirit influencing their every day. There are two types of lives you can live as a Christian. You can live either a self-directed life or a spirit-directed life. And the problem that we have in our Christian world today is that most believers live self-guided, self-directed lives. They are the masters of their own souls. They do life in their own effort and in their own strength. And the Spirit, the Helper, the Paraclete, the one that comes alongside of us waiting to help us and to give us power, He is there, dormant in many of us. And so today we are going to talk about being filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. Now, when I use that terminology, immediately some of you might have had a bad experience with that word, and some of you, when you think of it in theory, you might struggle with what that means. Now, when I say filled with the Spirit, if I were to say a person is full of themselves, you would know exactly what that means. If I say a person is full of themselves, that means that they always think about themselves and they always talk about themselves. They can't get enough of themselves. They're full of themselves. When we say someone is filled with anything, in fact, all throughout the Bible, it would say that someone is filled with rage or someone is filled with joy or filled with courage. It means that it is dominating their persona. It is in control of who they are and what they're doing, so much so that you can see whatever it is that's controlling them more than you even see that person's personality. So it means control, essentially. And so we want to talk about that in more detail today. Part of the issue that we have with the filling of the Spirit as well is kind of the church experience that you've had. For many people, you may believe that the filling of the Spirit is synonymous with speaking in tongues. And so I don't know what church background you come from. You know, in, in the Bible, there, uh, for some of you that don't know what this means, the, there is this terminology, speaking in tongues. Uh, you see it in, first in the book of Acts, and it's when the Holy Spirit comes down for the very first time. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God came down on believers, and they began to speak in other tongues. That word there is the word galasalalia, languages. These folks started talking in other languages, and people started to hear them in their own language. And the Spirit of God was evident, and it came down, and people were shocked. And then if you look and you track all throughout the book of Acts, there are these moments where people are filled with the Holy Spirit, and you see other tongues, you see other languages coming from them, and it is this incredible historical moment in the church. 
But then, if you look outside of the book of Acts, there's only one other book that you hear about tongues again, and that is the book of 1 Corinthians. In the book of 1 Corinthians, you have a gift called tongues, and Paul will talk about this gift. Now, in Acts, we have a historical moment. It is the filling of the Spirit, and tongues happens. But then in 1 Corinthians, we have the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues, Paul will say, is when he prays or when he speaks and he says his mind is unfruitful in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14. So he says, when I pray in tongues, I'm not actually articulating words in my mind. I'm not trying to craft my words up to God. My mind is unfruitful, but my spirit prays. And so what Paul says is that I can pray and be in a very raw place with God. And I can have this very deep intimacy with God when I pray. And he also says that he has that ability to speak. And later on in the chapter, Paul will say, I wish that you would all speak in tongues. Now, let me just give a word about this. Um, You know, years ago, I went to a church service, and they prayed over me that I would pray in tongues. And I did. And for years, I saw that the church was basically divided on this issue, so much so that my friends that prayed in tongues, I was like, yeah, I'm around them. And, and then I had friends that didn't, and I was like kind of in the closet with them, so I didn't want them to think I was crazy, you know? And so I, uh, I noticed that there was this huge division. And that the Bible is really clear that Paul is encouraging people who have that gift to operate in that gift. But he says it's a gift, He does not say it is the evidence of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And if it was, it's only happening in one community. Paul wrote 13 letters and he only talked about it one time. And so if the filling of the Spirit is evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life, then only one community was actually filled with the Spirit. But not only that, what we see in the Bible is that the greatest evidence of the Spirit is love that you are a loving person. And the fact of the matter is you can speak in tongues and not love anybody. You know, and I always say this, you know, you can, you can love people and you can try to love people, but you can speak in tongues and not love anybody. And the, the real question is, can you love people in English? Can you love? That is the real heartbeat. And so, so, so this, is what, this is what's happening. I pray that all of you would operate in your gifts. Whatever gift that God has given you. And I don't want you to shy away. If you have the gift of tongues, do that. But this is what Paul says. If we all gather together and we were to pray in a tongue. In other words, we were all praying in tongues and I was talking in tongues. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, wouldn't the non-believer or the unbeliever walk in and says, y'all crazy? That's what he says. He says right there in the verse, he says, you, will they not say you are out of your mind? Now, here is what actually happens. A lot of people will have this incredible moment with the Spirit of the living God, and it will fall on them, and they will pray in other tongues, and some of them have that gift. But then there are those people that are like, this is doing nothing for me. What is, why is everybody, is this, why is everybody saying Shonda Rhimes, Honda, what? Is this a dealership? What is happening right now? I don't know. And they don't, and they don't come back to church and so, and so this is what he's saying. You could get to the point where you're comfortable with everyone with that gift and the people that don't keep out. Because he's saying essentially there will be people that don't enter into that. So he's saying you would need someone to interpret that for you. 
so that they would feel like they're a part of what you're doing. And that is why we have such a big division over these churches, because some people pray in tongues and some people don't. And then they make it seem like you're a varsity Christian if you pray in tongues and you're a JV Christian if you don't pray in tongues. But the Bible says if you're a varsity Christian, if you love people and if you love your enemy, I know people that hate their enemy but pray in tongues. No, you are dynamic in your walk with God when you love people that can't stand you. <laughs> so, all right, I, I didn't mean to get all into that. But the, but, the, but the heartbeat of that is don't shy away from any gift that God has given you, but at the same time know that tongues is a gift that if you do it, you need to make sure people are in the present, that are in your presence know what you're talking about. Or we'll all be like, we don't know, I'm sorry, that's just you, you're doing you. I don't know what to do, amen, I guess, amen, I don't know what you're saying. So that's the gift of tongues. I pray that you all operate in your gifts. Now, what is the, the filling of the Spirit? The filling of the Spirit, the Bible is, is talking about a major issue of daily obedience and daily submission and daily surrender. All of us operate in a, with a level of emptiness. We all have a level of, of boredom in our soul. We all operate with this distance in our hearts where we need to be filled up. We need something that we can continually go back to throughout our day to make us feel strong. And so we could fill ourselves with drugs, or we could fill ourselves with alcohol, or we could fill ourselves with social media, we could fill ourselves with knowledge, we could fill ourselves a lot of things to give us meaning and worth in life. And he says, fill yourself with the Spirit of God. There is this natural tendency for us to need a crutch. We're broken people. We need a crutch. We need something that we lean on. What do you lean on throughout the day? And he is saying your crutch, your dependency should be on the Spirit and not anything else. In the Roman Empire, drunkenness was the way that people made it through the day, even more so than even our context today. Rich people would get drunk. Poor people would get drunk. That's how people made it throughout the day. They would drink all day. And so Paul, wanting to use an illustration of how people can be strong in the Spirit, he says in Ephesians 5 and 18, don't get drunk with wine. He says this will lead to debauchery or is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, that word debauchery means, you, it, it, it means to dissipate or to things don't work out, things end badly. And I don't really think I need to give a big illustration of how drunk people do crazy things, right? But what he says is that drunkenness and wine is a great illustration for what the Spirit of God can do in your life. In other words, he says there's kind of a connotation, there's a similarity to how, why people get drunk and how, and, the, and, and how you get filled with the Spirit of God. Isn't it true that there are some people that need to drink more to get drunk and some people need to drink less? So it's really not about how much you drink, it's really not how much alcohol, it's really, the question is how much the alcohol has you and how much the alcohol begins to control you and you begin to say and do things that you would never do in your own personality. The word drunkenness means to be saturated, to be soaked, to be dominated by. 
He's saying that when people are drunk, they are dominated by the alcohol. They are controlled by the alcohol. And the alcohol, alcohol making him say that. He wouldn't say that in himself. That's the, that's the liquor speaking. You are saturated with alcohol. And he is saying in the same way you can get saturated with a drink, you could be saturated in the presence of God. You could be saturated with the spirit of the living God. Now, what are several things that you get from being drunk since we're in this space about talking about drunkenness? Now, let me make just a quick point. I am not against alcohol. Praise God, Jesus turned water into wine, so there's nothing wrong with alcohol. He is not talking about having wine. He's talking about being drunk, okay? You You generally have to try to get drunk. No, it's generally something you just don't fall into, generally. It's something you worked hard to get to. <laughs> I don't know how I got drunk. Yes, you do. You <laughs> sat there and you paid good money. There's an intentionality. In fact, I know when I used to get drunk, I was like, I'm getting drunk tonight. It's my mission. What do you get from being drunk? Why do people get drunk in the first place? Now, Obviously, there's some pathology to it where we could say, well, maybe the brokenness of your past and maybe your dad used to drink and maybe you have gone through something. I understand all that. But just the, I mean, let's not be too deep about it. Why do people decide they want to get drunk? What are the things that you generally see? There's three things I think you generally see when a person gets drunk. One of the first things that you generally see is people feel like they can face their problems now. Girl, I got fired. What? Yes, we going out tonight. <laughs> going out. We're going to drink. Why are you drinking? Because I can't handle this. I need a drink. And so you drink to face your problems. Because what alcohol does is it distorts your reality. And it can tend to make your situation feel smaller than what it really is. And you can feel like you have this imitation joy. It also makes you courageous. My, my boys used to call it liquid courage. I used to bounce in clubs, see it every night. That person that you really wanted to say something to, or a lot of times when guys wanted to talk to a girl, they would take a little liquid courage to say something that they wouldn't normally say. And so you begin to diminish your fears and minimize them because you know that this alcohol is making you diminish and and minimize reality. The other thing is you get real vulnerable. You begin to tell people stuff that's going on with you. You begin to share all the stuff inside of you and you don't even care about the consequences. Just, yes, my mama hates me. It's like, I thought you had a good relationship with your mom. You start getting real deep with people, and the, and the wild part is people that don't share anything share everything because of this liquid courage. You get real vulnerable. You get real courageous, and you start facing your problems. And so what he is essentially saying is what alcohol does in people to diminish reality, the Spirit of God can do in you, and what the Spirit does is it defines reality. So in the same way that you couldn't face your problem and you needed a drink, you now can face your problem because you know the Lord is sovereign and you know that God is in control. 
In the same way, the Bible talks about how the Spirit of God would come down on people. And when the Spirit of God would come down on people, they were bold. Acts chapter 4, they were bold. And they would say things not to hurt people's feelings, but out of love. They would share Jesus with people. And they would not minimize their faith. They would operate in their faith. And they would live bold lives. And that is the way that the cities were changed by Christians because they were these bold people. And it wasn't just the preaching of Peter or Paul. It was the Christians, all of them. They began to live these bold lives. And over and over again, it would talk about how they were filled with the Spirit, filled with courage, filled with boldness because the Spirit of God was saturating them. So much so that their persona changed. And the Spirit of God was controlling them. And so the very nature of God's Spirit in our life is He can control us and He can change us. Now let me just make a side note here. Many of us believe our greatest impact from God can come once we get a seminary degree or once we start serving at a certain place. The Bible says essentially with this that you have everything you need right now to make a major impact for God. Because the third person of the Trinity lives inside of you. And he says, be filled with him. And there's something that the the scriptures say gets produced from us when we have this dynamic filling of the Spirit. Ephesians 5 and 19, it goes on to say, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing and making music in your heart, to the Lord. So intimate. He says, when you are filled with the Spirit, he uses these kind of these um, terms that are very similar, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So the key there is to see you make music from your heart to the Lord. It is a posture of your heart. It is a longing to sing to God. Now, when Someone is filled with the Spirit. It does not necessarily mean when you're controlled and dominated by the Spirit that you're going to sing or you're going to walk up to people and start singing. What it is giving an imagery to is worship, that you begin to just worship and you begin to enjoy God and be in His presence. (laughs) Um, A picture of worship is uh, Romans 12. It kind of defines what worship is for us. I want to read that for you. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so the word worship essentially means to bow low down to God. You begin to give yourself to God. In light of his mercy and in light of who he is, you give yourself to him again. And many times singing can come and be produced from you. But if you looked in verse 21, and we don't have it up there, it also says we can submit one to another. So it also says that I can also start living a submissive life to my brothers and sisters in Christ. I can start operating in community better. Also important to note, if you were to read the rest of Ephesians 5, He begins to talk about family life with marriage. He begins to talk about work life. He begins to talk about home life. And the reason why he's talking about all those lives is because those are the most intense relationships we have. Your kids, your your coworkers, and your wife or husband. He says, so before he gets into that, he says, you know what you need to do is get filled up with the Spirit. Before you start dealing with your family members and your coworkers. 
the most intense relationships you have. And so the issue there is this idea of posturing your life of daily dedication to God. For some of you, I wonder if you remember when you gave your life to the Lord. You know, for me, it was a worship service, and I lifted up my hand, and I gave my life to the Lord. For some of you, you gave your life to the Lord, and then you had to rededicate your life to the Lord. But it was this picture of dedication or rededication, and you came to the place in your mind and your heart where you said, me, I want God right now. I know I need him in my life. I know this is who I want. I I don't want anything else. I want to give my life to you. And the giving over of your life and submitting of your life and bowing low in your life is a picture of worship. It is not just singing. It is offering yourself to God in light of his mercy. If you dedicated your life to God or even rededicated your life to God, why is this so tough to do throughout the day? Why is it hard to stay dedicated to God? Well, I'll tell you two kind of relevant pictures of that. Um, I think that there are two places I can always look to see if a person is operating in a life of worship and a life of being saturated or controlled by the Spirit. It is how they approach God after they sin and how they approach God or if they approach God when God doesn't answer their prayers. When you sin, what do you do next? And when you do that thing, you know you had no business doing. When you, have, when you, when you not only feel like you broke God's heart, but you broke your own heart. When you, not, when, you, when you are so disappointed in your walk with God, you're like, I, I know that you're tired of me. What do you do? Because if you do not run back to God, you do not believe his grace is big enough to cover your foolishness. The second area is unanswered prayer. How do you respond when God does not answer your prayers? When you've been praying and praying and seeking God and seeking his face and he does not respond to the very things that you know he should be doing in your mind. And and part of our problem in that situation is you do not believe God's goodness is greater than your vision. And so you see what your life should be like and you're like, God, let's get on the same page, Lord. And so you are dedicated to God, but you're distant from him at the same time. And so the the issue is, is that when I sin, I still move closer. When he does not answer my prayer, I still move closer. Because if in these two spaces, either I'm pushing God away or I'm moving away, but we are not operating in a place of daily dependence where I'm saturated in his presence and I'm connecting with him throughout the day. In Ephesians 5, when it says, be filled with the Spirit, in the Greek, it is essentially a continual action. It would essentially mean that I'm not just being filled with the Spirit. I'm not just to be filled in a one-time occasion, but I'm to continually be filled throughout the day. And so this would then, in turn, make a moment-by-moment dependency on God every day. (laughs) My My wife is out of town. So, you know, it's, it's all about pizza and pajamas the next few days, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, uh, 
You know, it's weird when you don't really operate by a schedule. You know, you're by yourself and, you know, it's like, okay, I'm just going to do my thing. But when I get back into my work life, my commute is like this moment, right? And then I get off the train and then I get into the workspace and then there's like lunch and then there's after work and then there's going home. And there's life segmented in all these different moments. And it's great when you wake up in the morning and you have this great devotion to God. I mean, God just blew your mind. I mean, there was, you know, you read a word and it was just like, oh, this is for me. This is amazing. God is in my life. I'm about to change the world. And then you walk into work and all hell broke out. And you're just like, where are you? You were there at 7 a.m. What happened? And part of the problem is Oftentimes we talk about having a devotional life, and that is good. It's good if you have a 30-minute devotional. But God is a relationship. He's not like, he's not like a counselor where you like meet him and like he's a continual relationship. And he wants to be with you throughout the day, moment by moment. So he is not wanting you to put him on the shelf after 7:30 because you need him to talk to your boss. And so let me just go back. He just said, before you deal with the most intense relationships, be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled. Because if you're not controlled by me, you're controlled by you. And you may say something you may regret. So be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit moment by moment throughout the day. The picture of this is when I sin, I confess that sin unto God. And then I ask him to control me, to fill me, to saturate my mind, and I could inform my heart. I read a scripture. I pray. I put on a worship song. It doesn't matter what it is. Just put God in the space you're in in that moment so that you are not operating in your own strength. And so it's a daily thing. It's, it's, you know, the, there's another picture in Galatians 5 that talks about walking in the Spirit. It's a similar idea that you're walking in a posture of dependence throughout the day because it's a relationship that's available daily, a daily relationship. And when you do this, you have sustained joy, sustained peace. You'll share your faith more, not because you've just learned some new thought, it's because you're, you're, you're overflowing with the presence and the joy and the person of God. And so the Holy Spirit is in you to influence you, to, to, to use you in your life. <laughs> you know, this, um, this picture I gave you of spiritual breathing almost, where you're confessing your sin and you're taking in the Spirit's presence. Some of you will do this this week. You'll be like, that's it. I'm filled with the Spirit. Yes. And then you're going to come to some trials and you're going to do it again. You're going to keep coming back. But the issue of being filled continually the rest of your life, moment by moment, is really a core issue of desire, of wanting to be with Him. That's really what it's about. It really just comes down to do you want to be close to God throughout the day or not? Because if you don't, then this is just kind of like, amen, that's it, that was good, and then you walk away. But if you really want to be controlled, you'll be submitted. Daily submission, moment by moment submission. 
and you still come back to him throughout the day. Now, there is a very challenging text, and it gets to the very heart of our desire. In uh, Psalm 27 and 4, I want to read that to you. David, David says, one thing I have desired of the Lord, and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, let me ask you an honest question. If I were to dig into your soul, I mean, if I were to really dig into your heart, and you were to tell me, what is your number one prayer request right now? I mean, if I were to just whittle down them all, what's the one thing you want? The one thing you hunger for? The one thing you have to have, priority number one. This is what David said, my number one prayer request is him and to be with him. I desire one thing. I want to be in his house and I want to be in his presence. I want to be around him. I want to be like him. I want to know God more, and I want to make him known. I want to dwell in his house. It is that kind of mentality that gives you this picture of filling and being controlled and being saturated and being dominated because the one thing you want above all your other requests is him. And so you seek him. You seek him throughout the day. You seek his presence. You want him. And you tell God, I want you right now. I feel alone right now. I'm confused right now. And I want you right now. And because he is not a microwave, you may not have a momentary feeling in that moment. But because he is the one thing you want above all else, you seek him again. And you keep chasing him. And you keep seeking his presence. And it is through seeking his presence, John 15 John 15 says, abide with me. If you abide with me, I will abide with you and you will bear much fruit in the morning and in the midday and in the night. You will bear much fruit. But you got to start wanting me more than you want him. And you got to start wanting me than you want those things because Jeremiah said, my people, they want broken cisterns. Meaning they try to drink out of cups that have holes in them. And every time they take a drink, they notice that it doesn't satisfy. And the Lord looks out to us and he says, have you gotten to a place where you're so dissatisfied with all the world that offers us? Are you so dissatisfied that you're ready to reposition your heart to be only satisfied by me? And this is my prayer for our church. My prayer is that you'd be a one-thing kind of man and that you'd be a one-thing kind of woman, that you'd be about one thing. I wonder when people say something about you, what's the one thing they say about you? What's your one-thing reputation? Oh, they are about fashion. They are about art. And some of that you can't control. But what do you want to be known for? What is the one thing you're living for? What is the one thing you love? The one thing your mind always goes back to. The one thing your heart is saturated by. The one thing your eyes are focused on. What is your one thing? And David said, I'm a one thing kind of man. 
I want one thing. And I pray that you want that one thing. And it would be him. And in order to have him be that one thing, I pray God removes all the other things. All the other things that are confusing your heart right now. That moment by moment, you're a one thing. I just want him. We have a moment here where we're going to sing. The Bible said that when your heart's posture is at a certain place, you just begin to sing and worship. And you create a context of intimacy. I wondered if you'd do that now. If you would just be intimate with the Lord and tell him exactly where you're at. But I pray that you would not leave here the same way. It is not more knowledge. It is not a new season you need. You have everything you need right now. You have the spirit of the living God living inside of you. The third person of the Trinity lives inside of you. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. He longs to influence you. He is in you, wants to influence you. And what he's asking you today is for surrender. Moment by moment throughout the day. Would you stand with me? Jesus, Jesus, I pray that our church, I pray our people would change the posture of their hearts for those that are running from you when we sin or removing ourselves from you when we don't feel like you're responding to our vision. And God, I pray that you would give us a renewed sense of your presence in our life. God, the truth of the matter is the Spirit of God is in us. He lives in us. God, would you create a submissive spirit in this place? Would you create in us a, a new attitude, and one where we are focused on you and you alone? God, we give you control over our lives. We allow you to be sovereign. And we allow you, God. We allow you, God, to place us where you want to place us throughout the day. To move us wherever you would have moved us. And God, I pray just, I just pray for your power in the lives of people. God, and I, I, I pray right now for the person that is hearing me say these words and still thinks they have to perform for you. It is crazy, but your love for us is deeper than our obedience. You love us more than our obedience. We can never be obedient enough, and we can never be disobedient enough. Your love is a scandal. And I pray that we would just be overwhelmed with the love of God, that we would just be blown away. You still want me. You still want me. And the more that my heart gets saturated with that grace and you pour out your grace again and again and again, I begin to lose my taste for the things of this world and I only want to sip from your cup. So God, fill us up with your word. Fill us up with your people. Fill us up with your ways and remove those things that are keeping us from you right now in the name of Jesus, God.
In the name of Jesus, God. In the name of Jesus, God. Change us, God. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.